Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Please join in the words for lighting our chalice. They're printed in your order of service. We light this chalice. Now I'll ask you to take a deep breath. In this room, there are so many different people with different bodies, different brains and feelings and thoughts, different abilities and challenges and gifts and needs. I'll ask each of you to do your best to silence your body as you breathe. Remembering that as this tone rings out, each of us will hear it differently. And yet here we are, bound together by our common straining to hear the last echoes as the sound fades back into silence. Breathe and listen. A few years ago, I asked a group of my colleagues how they would most succinctly describe Unitarian Universalism. I asked for really brief, like one-sentence responses, and I got a handful of answers, and the one I loved the most was from my friend, the Reverend Christian Schmidt. He wrote, Unitarian Universalism is my faith. Come with me on a Sunday and let me show you. I loved this answer so much because it said, all the words won't necessarily be able to explain it, but you're going to understand it when you come with me. You're going to understand it in the way my community welcomes. You're going to understand it in the way we speak, in the way that we love. You're going to feel it when you're with me. I hope that you feel it every time we gather. I hope that you feel what it means to be part of this society, part of Unitarian Universalism, part of a large community. I hope that new folks who walk through our doors are able to say, this is a place that welcomes, that offers assurance and affirmation, that asks for depth and realness in response. I hope all of us can say, this is a place I love that lets me be me, that asks me to find meaning amidst all the strangenesses of life. I hope every one of us can say, this is a place that gives me care and helps me feel whole. That's what I want for you, for each of you. I want this to be a place that, even if we can't always find exactly the right words to explain it, is a place that you want to be. Grateful for all of you that make up this wonderful community and hopeful that this place can yet be a home for so many more, we gather together this morning. Every Sunday, we also take time to reflect, to meditate, to pray, to be together in silence. 
So I'm going to invite you to take a deep breath and to settle yourselves into our quiet time. Some of us believe that there is a spirit of life that pervades all and a love that sustains us and all creation. Some of us believe that there is a wonder and a mystery beyond our knowing. Some of us believe in God, in a holy one that moves and works in the world. Some of us believe that here and now is all we have, that this life we are given is ours to explore and unfold. We sit together here with all our diverse beliefs. Rooted in love, grounded by a community that has grown and changed over many years, but that still sustains us. We sit together this morning, reaching up and out from the depths of our minds and hearts and souls for all that is good. Take a deep breath. This morning, as we are together, we think with compassion of the wider world, of those around the world facing violence and fear, destruction and death. We think of those working in areas of danger, trying to save and heal and salvage. We think of those determined to turn this world into the beloved community we seek. And we think with love this morning of those gathered among us here. Of those who face the challenge to keep going each day amid the heartbreak of life. We think of those who work to make this community strong and healthy, open and honest. We think of those determined to turn this world into the beloved community we seek. In the silence, we lift up the hopes of our individual hearts. When I first arrived at Divinity School, which is actually 15 years ago now, I was miserable because I actually really don't like massive fundamental change. So moving, starting a new program, meeting all new friends, I need a little stability along with my change. But within a few weeks, I had this sense that I'd never actually been more at home. Suddenly, I was surrounded by people who had the same questions and ideas as me. Here, I was amidst peers who wanted to talk about God, about the deepest meaning of life, about heaven and hell and the nature of the spirit, about love and the past and the future and who we are as individuals and who we are as a collected humanity. I can assure you those were not the questions being posed by my peers in fourth grade or 10th grade or even in college. Here I was, though, I had found my people, and it was glorious. This fall semester, I actually have the privilege of teaching a class at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. It's essentially a Unitarian Universalist ministry formation class focused on some of the competencies that the ministerial credentialing body of the Unitarian Universalist Association expects ministers to have. My class is quite small, which has afforded us plenty of opportunity for conversation. And my students, though each has been attending a UU congregation for some time, are relatively new to many of the stories of Unitarian Universalism. 
It's been especially interesting to me to review with them some of the concrete history, but then also some of the more sort of loose emotional or cultural history that has marked the last bunch of decades in our shared tradition. Seminary is a time for students to discern not only their path to ministry and what form that ministry might take, but also to do some serious work around whether or not the religion they identified with when they entered seminary remains the religion that they feel most aligned with. It's a time to reflect on who they are in the world and who they want to be. And it's a time to think about the organizations that they will become a part of if they decide to indeed pursue ministry. And as with all things, there is the information that is enshrined in the books, and then there's the information that passes from generation to generation of leaders. Unitarian Universalism has its fair share of both kinds of information, in no small part because Unitarian Universalism, as we understand it today, has evolved from two relatively distinct pasts, the Unitarian and the Universalist. The hallmarks of our Unitarian forebears were a belief in the oneness of God based in a thoughtful, educated, and rational reading of the Bible, and a belief in the possibility of human improvement. In 1819, and I've mentioned this before, William Ellery Channing delivered the sermon that sort of solidified the Unitarian tradition in this country, though you can trace Unitarian small-u doctrine back to the time of Jesus. If you have the inclination, you can find the sermon online. It is fittingly called Unitarian Christianity. And in it, he preached that God was one being, a unity in contrast to the belief held, beliefs held by the Trinitarians about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He preached that integral to the religious life was, quote, a sense of the infinite importance and indispensable necessity of personal improvement. So our Unitarian heritage teaches us oneness, one God, and so one creation. And it teaches us that although we are not born with original sin, nor are we perfect as we are, we have work to do to find our best selves and work to do in order to live our best lives in the world, a world that often tempts us to be other than our best. Personal improvement to Channing and the Unitarians was of infinite importance. Our universalist forebears gave us the notion that God is love. Universalists were doing some reacting to Calvinist doctrine that claimed some would be saved and some would be damned. The doctrine of the elect was popular in this country and others. This idea that God had determined some would be saved, some would not, and nothing would change that. Universalists reasoned that an all-powerful God who ostensibly loved creation would never condemn anyone to hell, but being possessed of the power to save would indeed save all. These religious ancestors of ours believed in universal salvation, that's where they get their name, universal salvation grounded in an understanding of God as love. They believed that each and every person had access to that love, that each and every person was deserving of care. There's an often uh, misattributed quote from our universalist past. The quote is, give them not hell, but hope and courage. And our hymnal actually credits it to John Murray, the 18th century universalist preacher. But it's actually from a pamphlet about Murray. The writer of that pamphlet fancifully imagines a time spirit 
who comes to visit Murray and inspire him to preach, and the time spirit says to him, essentially, go preach, go out, let your light shine, don't hide it behind a bushel. And then it says, the time spirit says, bring understanding to the hearts and minds of people. Give them not hell, but hope and courage. Do not push them deeper into their theological despair, but preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. Doesn't matter whether a time spirit said it or Murray said it, those words are emblematic of our universalist past that teaches us love and hope. So love and oneness. You've definitely heard me talk about these before because those were the different starting points for the Unitarians and the Universalists. And interestingly, though they were different places to begin, they led to similar destinations. Reason and a belief in our interconnectedness led Unitarians to the conviction that people should be treated well, all people. If we're all connected, all one, then anything that hurts one of us hurts all of us. It led them to take up justice causes they believed in. We certainly have in our collective history those who resisted moving toward justice. But for the larger part, Unitarian theology led people to bring the full weight of their rational, educated, philosophical tradition to bear on things like abolition and suffrage. Similarly, God's universal love as a parent of existence led Universalists to the conviction that no child of God should be made to suffer. If God is our parent and God is love, so we too should be love, they thought, creating here on earth the world an all-loving God would want us to create. Of course, within Universalism, there were those who resisted moving toward justice, but for the larger part, their theology led them to take up the same justice causes and to bring their passion and love and welcoming spirit and generosity to bear so that this world might reflect the universality of God's love. In 1961, those two arms of our past joined together and the Unitarian Universalist Association was born. What the two groups had realized was that they would be stronger together. Their institutions would be healthier, their religious voice in politics and on the national stage would be stronger. Both denominations were small, so there was a practical element to this merger, but they knew they would benefit from each other in other ways because they knew they had shared values and a common purpose. The Unitarians and the Universalists had often found themselves on the same side of social issues because of the way their theologies played out and on the same side of theological debates because they had both moved away from dogmatic and creedal modes of being and into a more open and inclusive theology. And they shared a common noble ideal of an earth that more approximately, more closely approximated heaven. Though they came at that noble idea from universal salvation through a loving God on the one hand and oneness through the critical exploration of sacred text on the other, they shared an understanding of all of us as held and beholden to each other. They shared an understanding of the importance of knowing ourselves and knowing each other, treating each other well, loving each other. They shared a deep belief in the inherent worth and dignity of every person, that we don't carry original sin and we don't need to be punished. We are loved and precious and beautiful, even as we are called to figure out and live our best selves in this life. 
when our forebears joined together in friendship in this way, with this common noble aim and ideal, they gave us a balance. We are loved, each and every one of us, and we are called to be ever seeking the deeper truths and meaning that will help us live honestly and will help us ensure that others are given the opportunity to find and live their best lives as well. Of course, as in any partnership, it hasn't always been easy, but good things often aren't. Yesterday I was here, Ron was here with me, um, we had the special pleasure of performing a wedding vow renewal for a couple that's been married for 65 years. And together we acknowledge that marriage over that many years will of course have its ups and downs, but that commitment and honesty and kindness and forgiveness and self-awareness and independence and shared values will help you get through. We acknowledged that together, two can become so much more than they are on their own. That message of sticking it out when things get hard and talking together to figure out who we are and who we want to be struck me as I was thinking about this morning's service. Because that's what we've had to do as an association. Figure out over these past decades who we want to be. Because although the Unitarians and the Universalists shared much, they came from different starting points and they had different cultures. Over the last 58 years, we Unitarian Universalists have traveled through many phases. We've gone from a time when more religious language was considered unacceptable into a time when we are committed to representing many different theological stances in our worship and in our speech. We've gone from a time when congregations identified strongly with either Unitarianism or Universalism, or maybe with one or another theological tradition, into a time when congregations try hard to hold diverse theologies under one roof without privileging any one over any other. We've gone from a time of doing justice work outside our walls to a time when we do the work also of uncovering our own biases. We've gone from a time when the Unitarian culture seemed to reign to a time when our Universalist culture has balanced the scales a bit. We've gone through phases of giving ministers too much authority and leeway when they've misconducted, and others of giving them too little authority to do anything, and hopefully now into a time where we're finding the right balance of responsibility and accountability. We've gone from a time of somewhat self-righteous justice work and self-righteous theology to a time of deepened love that forces us to look hard at ourselves and our systems and to affirm the truth in other ways of being. We've gone from a time of defining ourselves by what we are not to a time of defining ourselves by what we are, by what we share. These transitions haven't always been smooth and there has been pain as we have worked to redefine who we are what Unitarian Universalism is, and the process is ongoing. But I truly believe that we've gotten so much closer to a balance that brings forth the best of our inheritances. Unitarian Universalism calls us to lives of love, ever mindful of the oneness of everything. And I love that story of Hosea Ballou and the mop and that quote, asking if you love a child because you've made it clean or you clean it because you love it. I was raised in a much more Unitarian-dominated phase of Unitarian Universalism in a church that had historically been Unitarian. And it took me some time to come around to the Universalist side of things. 
but I have come to embrace it because I think it's what brings the heart along with us. Ballou teaches that love, with a capital L, right, the big spiritual love, is not something we withhold because we disagree. Love is not something we withhold because we think our idea is better. Love is something we cultivate because it's the only way to create a heaven on earth. So a life of love born of a deep understanding of oneness becomes the primary goal. And that love extends. Love for the earth because we are aware that its health is our health. We are one. Love for ourselves because we understand that we each are unique and beautiful beings, each a special creation. Love for each other because we know that every human possesses inherent worth and dignity. We are all one family here in our communities. Love for all of humanity because we understand that only with our collective liberation will any of us be truly free. We are one people made of stardust. Love for all creation because we grasp that the interdependent web goes well beyond humans alone. There's a oneness in everything that we can glimpse if we try. This sense of unity and love that calls forth awe and humility keeps congregations together, and thankfully, it keeps our association together. It does this by calling all of us to a particular way of life, because we may not share a dogma or a creed, but we share a belief in how we should behave in this world. Our inheritance leads us to compassion and empathy for everyone's individual journey, personal history, and life's work. There's that old quote about how everyone you meet is fighting their own battles even if you can't see them, right? It's about knowing that everyone is on their own path and knowing that we don't know what everyone is contending with on any given day. And so we try to cultivate empathy and compassion. It leads us to acceptance and beyond acceptance to affirmation. We know our little piece of the world, but others know truth in their pieces of the world. This allows us to deeply believe in our way of doing things without castigating or mistreating others who do things differently. It allows us to have faith in our own beliefs without it meaning that everyone else is wrong. And it calls us to consider when we might be being blinded by self-righteousness. It calls us to listen deeply to someone else. Our inheritance leads us to thoughtfulness and intentionality. When we are all part of one whole, we know that what we do to ourselves impacts others, and what we do to others impacts us. Nothing happens without consequence. Our behaviors matter. How we treat others matters. And we have to think through how we want to be and try over and over again with care and intention to embody all that we seek to bring into the world. It leads us to justice and righteousness, not self-righteousness, but righteousness. When we know that we are made of the same stuff, sharing in the same destiny, inhabiting the same space, and looking toward the same future, we know that none of us are any better or worse, just different, not more or less deserving, all loved, all searching and hoping and dreaming and building and creating and living and loving as best we can. And it leads us to knowing when to let others lead. We know that our grasp of how to achieve justice is ever evolving. We know that the systems of power and oppression in our culture, in our nation, and in our wider world are complex. And so we know that the work of understanding is ongoing, that we have an obligation to be constantly learning and listening. 
to be willing to look at ourselves with an honest and critical gaze so that we can become a force for collective liberation. It leads us to forgiveness and renewal. We're here, we have nowhere else to be right now. Our fates are intertwined, our lives are linked, and this is what we have, these moments. So we ask for forgiveness and we offer it. We believe in renewal and we seek after it. The renewal of relationships, the renewal of self, the renewal of this world. We know that we can make mistakes and start again. And all the while still remain a part of the loved and loving whole. And finally, it leads us to community because it is in community that the truth of our interdependence is made manifest. It is in community that the truth of our belovedness and our capacity for loving is made manifest. It's in community that we practice and fail and practice again the deepest values we hold. It's where we practice the lives we want to live and the people we want to be. It's in community that we are able to express and embrace loving connection. I truly believe these are the best of what you will encounter when you come to a Unitarian Universalist congregation. I truly believe these are the best of what we have to offer the world as a living liberal religion that is committed to evolution and growth, depth and honesty, committed to kindness and compassion, care and hope, committed to unity and love. May we be ever mindful of who we are and who we want to be, retaining what was good in our history and shedding what holds us back, embracing life in its complexity, its joy and its sorrow so that we may live fully, create justice and spread universal love. So may it be. Please remain standing and join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame. bright in our hearts until we are together again. As benediction this morning, I offer you the words of Laurelyn Bellamy. If here you have found freedom, take it with you into the world. If you have found comfort, go and share it with others. If you have dreamed dreams, help one another that they may come true. If you have known love, give some back to a bruised and hurting world. Go in peace.